Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I got some quick updates for you, followed by an amazing episode. So some updates. Uh, if you haven't noticed, I've been posting slightly less frequently. Uh, and I apologize for the delay as much as I try to get one of these episodes out for you every single week. Uh, it has been a challenge because back in July, I started a new company, a new solar company called Better Earth. Uh, check us out online. It's awesome stuff that we're doing, but it is occupying a huge amount of my time. Uh, so I appreciate you bearing with me on these delayed uh, published episodes, and I am working as hard as I can to get back to a more regular schedule. Um, and on top of that, I'd also like to invite, you know, all of you to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, send me some messages, send me what you like, send me what you don't like, send me who you'd like to hear me talk to anything like that. I'd love to hear it. And that's pretty much it for updates. So, and I have some amazing episodes coming up, so just get ready. Next, uh, our conversation for today. I had an incredible time talking with a very smart gentleman named AJ Jacobs. Uh, I first heard about AJ uh, because one of the pieces that he wrote for Esquire magazine was featured in Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek book. Uh, we talked a little bit about that in the podcast, and I'm going to read to you some of the uh, some some of AJ's background. He is a he's written four New York Times bestselling books, uh, so he's an author, he's a journalist, he's a lecturer, uh, and a self-described human guinea pig. Uh, and as I mentioned, he is an editor at large at Esquire magazine. He's a commentator for NPR, uh, and overall. He is extremely curious. Uh, we talk about his extreme curiosity uh, as well as some of the new projects that he's working on. He's writing a book on puzzles, which will be cool. It doesn't come out until 2021, but I'll update you on that. Uh, and he's also coming out with a new podcast in the new year. Uh, overall, his work is really awesome. Great stuff. Uh, he's got some awesome TED Talks also available on YouTube that you know you can sort of learn a little bit about what he's been working on and some of the projects that he's done. Uh, so please check out all that stuff and without further delay, enjoy this conversation with AJ Jacobs. Hey, AJ, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Patrick. I'm delighted to be here. I've enjoyed listening to the show, so thanks for having me. I, I you know, happy to hear that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I first heard about you, I, or I read an excerpt from you uh, from Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek, and that's where, and I actually had huge revelations from that excerpt that you wrote about uh, outsourcing your life and how you did that for a month. Mm. And 
just to give you credit, I actually outsource uh, a lot of the production of this podcast because of that excerpt. And so there, a, you look at that. Yes, it's been a life changer for me. And did you outsource it to, when I did it, the project I did, I hired a team of people in Bangalore, India. So did you go India or some other country or did you home source it? Where did you? So I'll give you a little background. So I uh, also co-founded a solar company a few years ago and knew about this outsourcing of, of, you know, these incredibly talented individuals overseas. And we found our first uh, outsourced employee for that company uh, living in, where was that at the time? In Morocco at the time. Mm. Uh, and then she actually moved to Eastern Europe. And so we started building a team of people based in Eastern Europe and then developed another team in the Philippines. And then it was, mm. Uh, after about a year and a half of, you know, using those people to their, you know, and all their talents uh, within our business, that was like, you know, hey, I've been dying to do this podcast. This just makes sense to use the same system or a similar system of using an over uh, overseas person to outsource the production of this mm-hmm. podcast to make it something that I can balance with the rest of my life. So, right. uh, so my my current production uh, person, his name is David, and he is. Uh, located in Eastern Europe, and he is phenomenal. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, I wrote that. Uh, Tim Ferriss's book excerpted an article I wrote for Esquire magazine called yeah. My Outsource Life, as you know. And my premise was to just outsource everything. So not just my work phone calls and emails, but I outsourced uh, my, uh, my arguments with my wife. They, I had them argue with my wife for me, and it was fantastic because they were much more polite and delightful, and so she liked it, and I liked it. And I'll tell you one thing that I still think about. I, I've given up outsourcing it, but I really should go back. Is It sounds strange, but outsourcing your worries because mm-hmm. I had all these worries like, I, am I going to make this deadline? And I would... Um, I would call my outsourcer, Asha, and I say, listen, I know that it probably won't um, do much, but could you worry about my deadline for me? Just 10 minutes, just focus on worrying, because she doesn't have the same emotional baggage and but it somehow it actually worked in my crazy mind like these people are actually worrying for me i don't need to worry it was a weight off my shoulders so i've actually now i think you know you don't have to hire someone you can trade worries with a friend so you'd be like i'll worry about your kid getting into college and you worry uh you know that that i'm going to make this deadline and somehow knowing someone else is on the case somehow makes me feel better. I don't know if it works for everyone, but I love it as a little life hack. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very interesting. It's a good way to sort of uh, make a fair transaction and to, it just gives your mind something to rest on, just knowing someone else is doing it. Right, exactly. And and we all know, you know, worrying doesn't help. Like Problem solving helps, but worrying doesn't, but it's just so hard to resist sometimes. So if you can do it in a much less stressful way, why not? I love that. I'm going to have to try to implement that myself. Sounds <laughs> sounds like a great hack. Uh, tell me, uh, do you do you still outsource uh, different parts of your you know sort of like professional life? Do you still utilize uh, you know these 
talented people overseas for, for your business? A little bit, not that much. I mean, ironically, uh, I wrote this article and it's, it was early on in the outsourcing uh, movement and it sort of kicked off this idea of, especially when Tim Ferriss wrote about it, this idea of personal assistance overseas. And the irony is I don't really use them that much. Uh, I should. I'm just bad at delegating. Uh, you'd think I'd be good. But, um, I mean, one thing, I, I sometimes try to outsource the researching of my books, and then I always come back to it doesn't work because what I love is when I'm researching something, going down this weird blind alley uh, or – and then maybe not so blind, but these weird byways and discovering little known stories. And I don't think I could do, I can't outsource that. I need to be there researching it myself. Tell me a little bit about uh, when it comes to researching, like what, like what's your method for exploring? Because there are certainly sort of uh, unpredictable pieces of information that come flying at you when you start diving into a subject. And uh, I'd be curious to learn what your system for handling different pieces of information that you, you know, don't expect, how you mm. sort of integrate those into your, into whatever you're working on. Yeah. Well, let me make it a little more um, specific and I'll just tell you about one of my projects and the research there. I did a book called the year of living biblically where mm -hmm. I tried to follow all the rules of the Bible as literally as possible. So the Ten Commandments and love your neighbor, but I also, the Bible says you cannot shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow, and I looked like, uh, you know, I looked like uh, Ted Kaczynski, uh, and uh, the Bible says that you should stone adulterers. So I thought I'd try that. I used very little stones, so I didn't get arrested, more like pebbling adulterers. But, uh, but it was an intense research project because I grew up with no religion at all. So this was my attempt to learn everything about religion by actually living it. And so I, um, I read voraciously, but my favorite part of researching uh, is talking to people. And, uh, and if you go in, I think, with genuine curiosity, like you said, you're big on curiosity, people will talk to you. Uh, if you go in judgmentally, then it's a little harder. But if you go in and just ask them what they believe, why they believe, what their story is, how it all started, and uh, you have these amazing conversations. I remember... So as part of this, I tried to interview people of almost every different faith uh, that I could find. And I, I was proud because I might be the first person to out Bible talk a Jehovah's Witness. So he came over to my apartment. I invited him over, which is because in New York, where I live, they don't really knock. So I had to call him up and get him to come over. And then after, I just was so interested in what he had to say after you know, three and a half hours, he looked at his watch and he's like, I got to go. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I don't have time for this anymore. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, curiosity is, it, as you say, it's such an important virtue and it leads, I think for anything, for entrepreneurs, for anybody, curiosity is really 
the I don't know what you would call it, the just the key, the key to uh, to all sorts of things, happiness, success. Yeah, totally. And what what I found most interesting diving into your work is that like you know I consider myself a curious person. I might read a book on something, or I might watch some YouTube videos on something if it catches my attention. Uh, but you know, you've gone through these long-term exercises in not just like learning some information, but applying the information, mm. uh, like the uh, like the living biblically for a year. I think it would be one thing to say, what are all the rules in the Bible? And maybe someone goes through and looks that up and writes them all down, and that's pretty extreme. But to do the function of following all the rules for a year, that is like. Uh, extreme to the max, you know, and I think it's a commitment that almost nobody is willing to take on even devout Christians. So what, what's your, like, what's your drive to do those, uh, to, to stick with something so extreme for so long? Well, partly I have a book contract that helps, yep. uh, but, yeah. but, but a lot of it is I find by doing the actual deeds, by changing my behavior, it has a profound effect on my uh, on my mind, and something that you can't just get from reading. Uh, there's a quote I love. I didn't come up with it, but I love it. It's the founder of Habitat for Humanity is credited with, and it's um, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. And I found this over and over. Uh, with the Bible book, for instance, uh, you know, part of it was I had to become, try to become a better person, a more compassionate person. So I would pretend, I would act as if I were compassionate, and I would force myself to go visit a friend in the hospital, even though I hate hospitals. And you sort of trick your mind, and you say, you're at a hospital, oh, I'm visiting a friend, I must be compassionate. And then you become a little more compassionate. It's the basis of cognitive behavioral psychology. It's sort of you act your way into, you, you fake it till you feel it. Uh, so I have found that incredibly powerful. And, I, and you can't do that with just reading. You have to dive in and, and live it. Uh, and, it's, and it's not just, it's every part of my life. I remember I was writing a book about health. And the premise was I was going to try to be the healthiest person alive because I'm not particularly healthy. Like, as I said in the book, I, you know, I rarely exercised and I ate whatever I wanted. And I wasn't traditionally fat. I was um, skinny fat. I looked like a snake that had swallowed a goat. So I, uh, but I was like, I'm going to write this. And every morning I woke up with a sense of despair and uh, I, I, question myself i'd say this is too big this is i what am i doing i'm no expert what what the you know i should give up but i would pretend as if i was confident i would act as if it uh so i would call up the top doctors and ask for interviews and i would uh call my publisher and say oh when when we when the book comes out we should have a huge party and serve kale martinis and i would just you know act pretend to be confident. And after a couple of hours of that, it really does start to sink in. Uh, so anyway, that's the, that's the message. Uh, one of the big themes of my, of my work life has been 
acting, you gotta act deed before creed, as some people say. You gotta act it to feel it. That to me is such an interesting idea. It seems like, like I lean on the side of thinking we're in some sort of, you know, simulation or matrix or something like that. And it's like <laughs> one of those like secret levers, you know, like glitch right through the thing where, you know, if you just can make your body perform the physical actions, then you'll wire your mind faster than trying to wire your mind to make your body do something. Totally. Um, it's like a total glitch. Um, and <laughs> it's like you could, like if you just start showing up to the gym every day, you'll probably start getting in shape more so than trying to convince yourself why or motivating yourself to, you know, all the things that going to the gym could do for you. Uh, it's just like, if you just somehow get in the car and drive to the building, you'll probably get there faster. Yeah. I love that idea. I mean, I actually do that now. I try to answer my emails on my treadmill. I have a little home treadmill mm -hmm. and, uh, so, and I, I try to spend a couple hours on it a day, just walking, not, not fast, but sort of grandpa speed, but it's better than sitting. And to, to motivate myself, I, I, all I say is like, I'm going to put on my sneakers. I'm like, that's it. I'm not even going to get on the treadmill. No promises. I'm just going to put on my sneakers, but just doing the sneakers. I'm like, all right, I have a little momentum. Why not just check it out I'll go on the treadmill maybe for a couple minutes and then it works so you you're psyching yeah our brain well my brain at least is not very smart so it's quite easy to trick I agree with you I, I do I have the same the same problem it's like every day it's like you wake up with like a sort of sense of amnesia towards the habits that you want to have and it's like okay like how am I going to make this happen once again and uh like I read in, there's this great book, um, The Power of Habit, that talks oh, about, yeah. yeah, if you, you're you familiar with that one. I am. I'm friends with Charles Duhigg. I'm having lunch with him tomorrow, as a matter oh, that's of. that's phenomenal. Well, tell him I absolutely love his books. They're amazing. I um, will. And I'm a big the, fan, too. What I found so interesting about uh, one of the sections in The Power of Habit about that uh, elderly man who, elderly man, hit his head, couldn't remember anything about his life. Um, had complete dementia, but would still do the same physical actions that he used to do before, like making mm. the same breakfast and walking the same routes and things like that. And how your physical habits live in a different part of your brain than sort of your conscious mind and how it's, it's just something, you know, you're, you're going to do those things regardless, uh, which I thought was just so it's a powerful thought as far as trying to wire your brain for whatever habits you want to, you know, do every day. It's like, if you just actually like walked around the block every day, that was your goal is to just do that every single day. If you just do it enough times, even if you're not even thinking you're going to mm. have that just by default. That's really cool though. Yeah. I love that. I did not remember that part of the book. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess I should have acted that part of the book to remember it better. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> very interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I, well, that's really cool. Uh, you know, I'm sure you have, a lot of connections in the space as far as um, you know, people that are similarly motivated to you as far as trying to figure out these life hacks and these, uh, you know, just ways of improving yourself. I like how you, you, in your website, you mentioned a dash of self-improvement, but I think, mm. you know, you, there, there's actually a little bit more sort of hidden in there if you can, if you do these things. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. And I talked about, I was on Tim Ferriss's show, so I talked about how I met him uh, because it was a, a, a bit of a funny story where he, he called me out of the blue or emailed me before he had written his first book and asked me if he could reprint my article on outsourcing. And I was like, he's like, I'm a first-time author. I recently graduated. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And then, so I'm like, you know what? Seems like a nice guy. I'm not going to charge him for to reprint this article because his book is going to sell 40 copies. <laughs> and, then, and then a year later, he calls me. He's like, my book's coming out next week, and it's number one on Amazon. And I was like, you mean number one in like 20-something career advice? He's like, no, no, number one, the best-selling book in the world. I'm like, what the hell? How did that happen? But uh, I'm very glad I did it because it, people like you read about me in his book. And, uh, and he also taught me, you know, he was a genius at marketing his books. Uh, so he taught me uh, some ways to get out there. Part of them is meeting people like, uh, and being curious. That's what he told me. Like he would meet, he would go to conferences to meet bloggers because they were big at the time. And, uh, and just approach them and ask them about their work. And eventually they might ask him about his work. And, uh, and then he got on all these blogs. It's an amazing thing. I, I'm, I'm curious about like where this, uh, you know, drive came from for you. Any, like what, you know, but before book contracts, <laughs> how did, uh, you know, where, where did this curiosity or interest come from, uh, you know, was it something that you've always had? Or is it something that you, you know, developed at some stage of your life? Or, you know, when did you start being extremely curious? I would say that I, I have been as long as I can remember. Uh, and I love, I once interviewed Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, uh, who I love. And I remember one of his quotes that he told me was, and it makes no sense on the surface, but it totally resonated with me. He said, I'm curious about everything, even those things that do not interest me at all. And I was like, me too. I am curious about things that don't interest me either. Uh, and I love that because I think whatever the topic is, there's always, if you just start scratching the surface, it's fascinating. You know, I've always, uh, I've never... Uh, I've always thought of trying to take the most stereotypically dull topics and write a book about them uh, because I'm sure, you know, accounting, I know very little about it, but I'm sure it's fascinating. Once you start diving in, there's all these controversies and subtleties and nuances. I assume maybe it is actually boring, but I'm pretty sure that you could find interesting things about, uh, about accounting. Uh, because it's human behavior and humans yeah. are so weird and fascinating and, uh, you know, they, they try and we're irrational, but we try to be good. And it's so any aspect of human behavior to me is going to be interesting. And is that, did you hear that quote before or after you, you attempted, you know, read through the encyclopedia Britannica? <laughs> 
I was, that was, uh, yeah, my first book, I was, I read the encyclopedia from A to Z when they still had encyclopedias. And as part of that, I wanted to interview all these people who were involved in knowledge in some way. So I interviewed the guy with the highest IQ in the world. Uh, and then I, I was working at Esquire magazine. So I asked if I could interview Alex Trebek and they're like, okay. So I flew out there to his house and I interviewed him and uh, it was awesome. Although it did mean that I can never go on Jeopardy, at least while he's host, because uh, uh, apparently he might have slipped me all the answers. While oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any common threads that you discovered, you know, in that, uh, in that research or with those interviews, like between, you know, we've mentioned curiosity, but anything else that sort of sticks out as far as uh, something that, people like Alex Trebek and the man with the smart, the highest IQ have in common? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, yeah, certainly curiosity, uh, multi, a multidisciplinary approach, uh, which is kind of similar. Like, I think that a lot of the hardest challenges now require uh, out-of-the-box ideas that you can only get if you are familiar with, um, with, unusual ideas and I did not interview Isaac Newton but I remember this was a lesson I learned about thinking and original thinking was reading about him in the encyclopedia because Isaac Newton you know he was a mostly known as a physicist and a scientist but then at one point in his career he started reading all these weird obscure texts about alchemy and mysticism and all of his scientist friends are like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, but because of those, I don't think he necessarily believed them, but because of those, he started thinking about this idea of action at a distance, like this mystical force where one thing can affect another uh, even though they're not touching. And that helped him come up with gravity, uh, the idea of gravity, which is a crazy idea. Like, a rational person wouldn't think there's this invisible force pulling us to all towards the center of the earth. That's just a weird idea. And he probably wouldn't have come up with it if he hadn't read these bizarre things that were totally outside of his normal uh, uh, bailiwick. Yeah, that's, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's almost like you need to, if you have, if, if you're, so committed to one specific discipline, it's almost like you have blinders on and you won't be able to see the wider world around you. And incorporate. I think so. Yeah. It's almost like for someone like Isaac Newton, especially maybe in his social circles of these uh, enlightenment scientists, you know, you almost need to dive off the deep end with pseudoscience to be able to enrich your own perspective enough to make a big discovery like that. You need a balance of, <laughs> of <laughs> solid facts and, and pure uh, mysticism. That's, that's really interesting. What, yeah. And by the way, I don't endorse mysticism. I am uh, <laughs> yeah. definitely like a science uh, fan, but I like that it, it prodded him to think in a new way. And this, you know, and science has to be creative. You've got to come up with these. I'll tell you, I was reading my new project is about puzzles and um, of all kinds. I'm writing a book about puzzles and uh, part of it is about 
ciphers and secret codes. So I was reading about uh, cryptography and about quantum computing. And quantum computing, I read it last night, this page in quantum computing from a book I'm reading was so crazy, I burst out laughing. Like I haven't laughed at, it was not meant as a joke, but it was this idea that these subatomic particles can be in two states simultaneously. They can represent a zero and a one simultaneously. It's just so crazy. And it's a, it was a lesson in that our intuitions do not necessarily line up with reality. Yeah, that's... Um... So I've, I've had similar experiences trying to read something that's so outside of my, uh, my level that you just start laughing because it's, it's just, it's like, what is, you know, who can understand this? And the fact that people understand it, not only understand it, but can, uh, intelligently write about it. It's like, forget about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It keeps you humble. I mean, I think that's an important part of life too, is this, uh, epistemic humility, this idea of just realizing how little we know, uh, and, and that ties in again to curiosity because, you know, it just encourages you to know more, but just make sure you realize you're never going to know everything. Yeah. The more, you know, the less, you know, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. L- let me ask you, uh, one thing that I found very interesting when reviewing your, your work is, is, uh, what you would say about rituals. Could you tell the, you know, the listeners out there sort of what your, philosophy or feelings are towards rituals and how they, you know, how they work? Yeah. I mean, I, my feelings have changed and partly because of that project on the year of living biblically, because I grew up very in a very secular home. Uh, As I say in the book, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. So not very, no offense to the Olive Garden, (laughs) Uh, maybe a little, but the, uh, but I always thought rituals, they're just so crazy and irrational. Why, why waste our time? Uh, but the more I, I tried these rituals myself and the more I thought about them and talked to people about them, I realized that, you know, much of our lives, even non-religious people have rituals. The idea of a birthday cake, that is a ritual that if a Martian was looking at uh, you know, two different, uh, if Martian looked at this birthday cake ritual and then looked at some people taking mass at church, uh, I don't think the Martian would be say, oh, well, this birthday thing makes sense. You know, this putting fire on top of a, a bunch of sugar and then blowing it out and wishing for some, that makes sense. But this whole thing about you know the going to mass that's crazy they're equally irrational but uh, but to me uh, some rituals can give your life structure they can give it meaning they can they can be really uh, a lovely profound way and, and we do need some I mean as I I'm still not religious so I like this idea of combining the best parts of religion, with with humanism or secularism so this idea of doing rituals uh that don't necessarily involve god but that do have meaning that do remind us that bring people together i mean i'm jewish uh, i don't believe in god but i like i like the annual seder 
uh, where Passover, where everyone comes over. I just like getting together with the family and uh, and uh, you know, saying the same things uh, every year and holding up, uh, you know, doing a little weird thing where you take your finger and put it in the wine. I find that comforting. Um, so I guess my to sum it up, they, I, I think that rituals can be lovely and important, um, whereas I used to think they were just crazy talk. And, uh, and, and I do want to make clear, though, you know, some rituals are harmful uh, and, uh, and lead to terrible behavior. So I wouldn't, uh, I don't want to endorse all rituals. I'm saying rituals that just involve bringing people together, uh, that I think as an important part of our lives, whether you're religious or secular. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. That's what, uh, the, over the past year, I've, I've done similar sort of uh, reading into rituals and, and sort of doing things for the sake of doing things because it puzzled me as well. Like why, you know, why do we do a birthday cake and things like that? Um, and what I found interesting is like when you look at any indigenous culture, they, they are filled with rituals and they're mm-hmm. ones that don't make sense to our, you know, our culture, our society, whatever you want to call it. Um, and like, like every single indigenous tribe has some sort of like coming of age ritual for, for men, a lot of them for women. Uh, and we're sort of, we don't like have those explicitly set in stone anymore. And some people sort of accidentally have rituals, you know, like, <laughs> uh, like I found myself, I became an Eagle Scout when I turned so it was like I sort of accidentally had this coming of age ritual that you know ends up setting you know ends up being like a good part of my you know something I reflect on as an adult more and more even though at the time it didn't mean too much to me um and so I what did you have that, to do to become an eagle scout so there was you know for years and years being a boy scout you have to go through you have to meet certain requirements you have to hold certain positions uh, you have to, you know, learn different things, different skills, you know, get the merit badges and all those things. Um, and even like within that organization, there's other sort of side journeys that you can go through. Uh, there's this like thing called Order of the Arrow, which is super, uh, was very strange to me as a, as a, you know, when I was young, I think I was like 13 when I did it the first time. It was something where for the whole weekend you're going to camp outside with no tent. You're going to just like, you have like a tarp and Hmm. you're going to eat nothing but like cheese sandwiches the whole weekend. And you're going to do like basically free labor. You know, we fixed a fence, we did some landscaping, we did things like that. Uh, And at the end of it, there was like, you know, like torches and drums and you'd go and there would be, you know, people would say things that, you know, some sort of like thing that was, uh, resonant of like a native american sort of tribe kind of thing and native american garb kind of stuff but like leave no trace you know and and certain ethics for being in the woods and stuff and uh the whole thing seemed totally bizarre to me at the time but now you know over the past year of sort of reflecting on these rituals and why do people do these things it's like uh doing things for the sake of doing things is something that i've noticed people we probably don't have enough of in our culture at all. Like even, you know, a lot of people, it seems like they are so, uh, you know, we are so uh, agnostic or atheist about religion. Some people like run away from rituals, which probably should be like a, 
know, sort of part of our humanity, a part of the yeah. human experience. Right. I mean, I, as I, as I, as I said, I am still agnostic atheist, but I think, uh, I, I think the ritual, the, the good part of rituals is it brings people together. Like rituals alone, I don't think are as meaningful to me, but uh, yeah, we, I mean, I think all the research shows we are social animals and, mm-hmm. and it is uh, more and more that we are, more and more individualistic and individualism has a lot of uh, advantages. I'm, I'm, you know, overall an individualist, but I think the pendulum has swung too much and we, uh, we need to get back to some more social behavior. Yeah, exactly. The pendulum has gone a little bit too far. That's where I wonder, uh, you know, as it swings back, what kind of rituals will we create or embrace that we're not doing right now? It's mm, a good question. I, yeah. I mean, I like the idea of coming up with new rituals. Why not? Uh, oh, like this one I did uh, for Thanksgiving. Um, every year we have you know, 20 people and uh, we used to go around the table and say what we're grateful for, but it was always so lame. It was always like, I'm thankful for family. Uh, you know, occasionally you'd get my kids would be like, I'm grateful for my Nintendo Switch, but it was nothing particularly uh, interesting. So I wrote a book about gratitude and I had this idea, what if we tried to, each uh, person is assigned a letter and they have to come up with something that relates to that letter that they're grateful for. So if you're A, you know, maybe you're grateful for the apple pancakes that your kids made uh, last weekend or mm-hmm. B you're grateful for the TV show Barry on HBO, uh, which is a wonderful show with Henry Winkler. Terrific. So it just makes you think instead of being in this autopilot, it makes you think, Hmm, there are lots of little things that I take for granted. Uh, and so that's a ritual that we've, we started a couple years ago and, and I'm, I, I think we're going to keep. I love that. Yeah, I think I love the idea of coming up with new ones too, because there's probably new uh, opportunities in our lives that that for rituals that maybe we, people didn't have to worry about in the past. You know, maybe like not look at your phone for a day <laughs> or something <laughs> exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's uh leads me to I want to ask you about the uh, your journey to thank everybody in the supply chain of your morning cup of coffee. Where, where did that, uh, where did that idea come from? And, and could you share a little bit about, you know, the challenge of doing that? Sure. Thank you for asking. Of course. Uh, yeah, that came about because I, I had read all the research about how important gratitude is and how it really is one of the keys to, uh, to a good life. And, there's a great quote by a Benedictine monk. He says, uh, happiness does not lead to gratitude. Gratitude leads to happiness. And I, I do think there's a lot of research to back it up. So I wanted to start a gratitude ritual like we were talking about. So before dinners for, for a few months, I would, uh, I would say uh, this sort of prayer of thanks. But as <clears throat> I've mentioned, uh, I'm not very religious. So instead of thanking God, I would thank uh, the people who helped make my meal a reality. So I would thank 
I'd say out loud, uh, I want to thank the farmer who grew these tomatoes and the, the cashier at Zingoni's uh, Deli who sold me the tomatoes. And, uh, and I did this for a while, and my son, who was, I think, 10 at the time, said, Dad, that, that's fine, but it's also kind of lame because those people can't hear you. They're not in our apartment. They're not getting anything out of it. What if you really cared, you would go and thank them in person. And I said, that is a very interesting idea for a project. Uh, so I thanked them, of course. And uh, I decided to focus on coffee because I needed a little more, uh, keep it uh, more focused. And also, I couldn't live without coffee. So that was the that was the premise. And I decided to structure it. I would thank a thousand people who helped make my morning cup of coffee, which may seem like a little bit excessive, but if you really think about it, there are at least a thousand people because if you take it wide, you can, you got to thank the barista who made the coffee at the coffee shop. Uh, you got to thank the farmer who grew the coffee beans. So I went down to Columbia and thanked the farmers but uh, but the beans would not have gotten to me without a truck driver. So you got to thank the truck drivers. And they couldn't have done their job without driving on a road. So what about the people who paved the road? And what about the people who put the yellow lines in the road so that the truck wouldn't veer into oncoming traffic? And I realized there are uh, all walks of life contributed to my cup of coffee. It was biologists, architects, logo designers, uh, politicians, CEOs, factory workers. So I just went on a rampage and I traveled or called a thousand people. And, uh, and it, was a, it was interesting. It was, a, it was a mixed reaction. I mean, some people were like, I would say, uh, I want to thank, they'd be like, is this a scam? What are you trying to sell me? And I'd be like, no, I just want to thank you. Uh, but most of them were actually quite, quite happy to be thanked. Uh, I remember I called the woman who does, uh, she does the pest control for the warehouse where the coffee beans are stored. So I called her up and I said, I tracked down her name and I said, I want to thank you for helping to keep the bugs out of my coffee. And she said, well, that is, that is a little strange, but, uh, but thank you. I don't get a lot of acknowledgement in my line of work, so I really appreciate the uh, you taking the effort. And uh, so it was nice, and that made me feel good, and it, it made her feel good. It was this sort of virtuous circle. You get a little dopamine boost. So um, it, was, it was just like what we talked about earlier, where you sort of act your way. I might have felt grumpy, but I forced myself to call people and thank them or go to them and thank them, and, uh, and you start to feel grateful. So it was a, it was a really uh, lovely project in the end. Yeah, I think that that one is super interesting because, uh, or at least super interesting to me, just trying to wrap your head around all the different components that go into something as simple as a cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah, I mean, I imagine you have you have a business, uh, a solar business. Is that right? Yeah, so we uh, we do residential solar installations. So if you look at all, and I used to think of it like we, you know, for every project that happens, just all the salespeople, logistics people, operations people, installers, there's like a hundred people that touch, you know, each panel that right. comes up on the roof. But then if you take it back further, the 
materials had to be mined out of the ground, which had to be dug by somebody working some sort of machinery, need to be shipped overseas by somebody on a freight carrier. You know what I mean? Like it's it's pretty amazing to try to localize and to wrap your head around where these things come from, where just our everyday, uh, you know, luxuries come from. Exactly. And you did, I'm sure the business was over the internet. So you got to thank uh, Tim Berners-Lee for inventing the internet and all the, you know, people who laid the cables for the internet. It's, it is just astounding. And I, I love it because it also makes you realize, uh, you know, you, you're not in this alone, that life is really a collaborative effort. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to, part of me, the grumpy part wants to be like, I did this myself, or, you know, I don't need other people, but you're, <laughs> it's, it's just not true. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, you know, I got to say my prayers to Google every day. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That is terrible, but true. I mean, I will tell you, that was, that was one of the, the, the challenges of that, because for instance, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, uh, I'm pretty much, uh, you know, uh, I think the, the climate crisis is real and uh, I'm super worried about it. Uh, but at the same time, I had to, uh, I knew that my, the, the trucks would not have carried my coffee to me without gasoline. So I had to thank the people at Exxon for getting me my, the oil to power the trucks. So I wrote, I remember I wrote the most passive aggressive thank you note in history to the, I wrote to the CEO of, Mo, of Exxon, I said, uh, you know, thank you for providing the gas that, get, that the truck used to get me my coffee. Uh, I love coffee, and I hope that it will still be around in 50 years. And if the climate crisis continues, it probably won't be. So now would be a good time to switch to more um, renewable energies. Uh, you know, thank you again. And <laughs> so I sent that <laughs> off. I did not hear back. But, uh, but they need to use more solar. Like they need to use your services more. Yeah. I would love, you know, it, I think it's, it's, that's an interesting dichotomy there between like the old world that, you know, all of our modern luxuries are built on versus like our, you know, what we're trying to transition to, to be more sustainable or longer term thinking. It's cause it's like on one hand, we couldn't even do this transition if we didn't have all the stuff that we have. Like I couldn't even, run a business to sell people solar if we didn't have, you know, all that foundation built up to have the point where I have all these, you know, amazing, I have an amazing laptop in front of me that was probably uses all sorts of unethically mined, you know, <laughs> materials and things like that. It's sort of like the trade off and trying to, trying to utilize those, that unsustainable effort to make a sustainable mm. change. Yeah, that is, it's a trade. I, I mean, I think, that's what that's uh i'm doing a podcast with a friend of mine it hasn't been released but this uh do you know james altucher you ever run into yeah yeah follow him on twitter oh okay so james and i are doing a uh, podcast called good or bad and the premise is we take an a topic and we talk about whether it's good for the world or bad for the world uh and they're big topics like you know 
democracy. Overall, I'm I'm pro democracy, but it's got its drawbacks. I think, uh, as I, as I saw in the 2016 election, it's got its problems. So uh, and uh, dogs, I love dogs. I have a dog, but uh, but if you think about it, there are downsides to dogs. Uh, and so you know they do kill 30 people a year, which is you know, sharks get a lot of attention. They kill less than one person a year on average. So, um, so dogs, uh, you know, everything is, is not, nothing is black and white. Everything has its grays, its nuances. And, and that's something that James and I thought was missing. You know, you look at Twitter, it's so polarized, so crazy. Everything is either the worst thing on earth or the best thing on earth. And, uh, and so uh, I just felt this idea of nuance and complication was, was an important one to try to embrace again. Oh, I love that. I'm glad that you're doing that. Cause I think with, uh, sometimes when things are just so in front of our face, you start to convince yourself that it's bad because you lose sight of why it's good. Like something like democracy or, you know, like right now we're seeing a, a you know, sort of a popular surge in like socialist ideas and mostly like people are bashing capitalism. It's like, there, there's definitely downsides, but wow, are there a lot of good sides too? And let's not forget, you know, it, it sort of comes back to one of those gratitude things too. It's like, well, there is a lot to be, you know, if you look at what we have here, uh, you know, I have an iPhone that I can tweet to you at, you know, because of capitalism. Uh, but there are, you know, it, it's not, it's not black and white, like you say. Oh, it's complicated. And I mean, yeah, uh, we haven't done capitalism, but that would be a good one, you know, because you could argue it's lifted 2 billion people out of poverty in the last 50 years. It's, it's remarkable. Um, but then on the other hand, there is still a tremendous amount of exploitation. So it's complicated. I don't know what the yeah. answer is, but, but it's important to, uh, to think about it and acknowledge that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that'll be a, so are you doing that? Are you going to be doing that consistently or is this like a, uh, like a regular podcast that you'll be uploading? Yeah, and the plan is uh, to launch it in January and it'll be once a week. So we'll see how it goes. I was just editing the, uh, the gambling episode today mm. because gambling, you know, uh, it's ruined millions of lives. So definitely huge downsides, but, uh, but there's some really interesting, there's a great book called Thinking in Bets uh, by mm, Annie Duke. I think she's, she's a poker player. And it's all about how poker teaches you to think in really good ways, how to think probabilistically, uh, how to be okay with loss. Because sometimes you'll make the right decision and it'll still come up terribly. You'll, you'll you know, you'll go all in because 95% of the time you're going to win with that hand and you lose. That doesn't mean you made a bad decision. It just means that's luck. So that, and that's the way life works too. So uh, gambling, at least, you know, it's got that, that one positive, maybe it teaches you how to think in interesting ways. So uh, I'm not a gambler. I don't love gambling, but, uh, but I can see that it, it's not, pure evil it's it's got some aspects that are are interesting do you, do you make an attempt to quantify the uh 
the pros versus the cons? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I'll tell you the first episode we do is sort of a meta episode where we talk about, is this podcast a good or bad <laughs> idea? And that was one of the criticisms I had of my own podcast. It's like, how do you quantify it? So how do you quantify the joy that uh, millions of people get from owning dogs versus the death of 30, mostly children, because it's mostly kids who are killed? Like, is, it, is it just impossible to talk about this stuff? Because how do you quantify it? Um, I mean, I don't think, I think you, you can still talk about it and you're never going to get it's it's not measurable always but uh but it's still worth exploring absolutely that, that's where i really wish we were in a just an explicitly obvious simulation that you can get the stats on these things that you, <laughs> you wouldn't normally be able to i know i think about that too a lot like i think when i'm act when i'm trying to choose a, an action and just like is it moral is it a you know is it moral for me to buy this cup of coffee from Starbucks versus from an independent. I would like if our simulation had like a score of mm. like you could see like this is scores eight out of 10 on being good for the world. This scores like three out of 10. That would make life a lot easier. Yeah, it'd be really, it'd be crazy. Try and even, I mean, obviously it's, it's sort of impossible to get all the variables nailed down. It's like trying to, know the weather you know it's like just trying to know exactly what's going to happen where each raindrop is going to fall just too much right uh, it is it is uh and actually do you ever watch the good place you ever watch that show no tell me about it oh it's fantastic and it's a i mean it's a show on abc about ethical philosophy and it's a hit so that's the crazy part it's about uh these people go to heaven um but but in one of the episodes, they talk about how this person went to hell because he bought a tomato and he didn't realize all of the horrible repercussions that buying that tomato, you know, just the, the oppression that it caused to the peasant laborers in, uh, in developing countries. So, yeah, it's uh, it's complicated. But. But that's not a, not an excuse to give up. I I don't think. I think you got to really roll up your sleeves and try at least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you go, if you take that philosophy too seriously, like the only ethical thing you can do is like dig yourself a grave and just crawl in it. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Although actually, I've thought about that. What is the most ethical way to bury yourself to be buried? Uh, and I have a couple of thoughts on that. First. There does seem to be a genuine cannibal fetish community. Uh, so I've read about them. I'm not a member, but maybe it would, it would be, you know, I'd, since I don't believe my body's going to be used after, you know, maybe I should donate it to the cannibalism community and they can eat me because they would actually get pleasure out of that. So maybe that is the most ethical thing to do. Um, Certainly, I think burying an entire body is kind of crazy. Like, that takes up so much land that could be used for other. So maybe, like, you just chop off, like, a pinky toe, and everyone <laughs> has, like, a mini grave. Maybe that's a better way to go. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the way we, we dispose of or treat dead people is very strange. 
yeah i agree it's you know it's one of those like rituals it's like we're doing like a ritual doing something for the sake of doing it burying people just you know because that's how religion has guided us or they were learning from the egyptians or something you know it's right. like uh, sort of preserving the body some for some reason yeah i mean that's the downside like uh, everything has is good or bad and that's the downside of rituals that we sometimes just keep doing things because that's the way they're done uh but that's why i like coming up with a new ritual like the uh the pinky toe cemetery might be a better way to go <laughs> no yeah. one's gonna do that everyone who is listening is like that is the worst idea i've ever heard but uh i mean if you tried pitching the idea of a birthday cake you know no that's i got it i got it for real on your birthday after the sun <laughs> has gone around the earth you know or the earth has gone around the sun one more time uh we're gonna get you we're gonna stack all this sugar and we're gonna make it great and we're gonna light candles on top of it i swear <laughs> it's gonna be you're gonna love it it's gonna be a great celebration <laughs> there you go see um that's pretty uh that's interesting i, I wonder so you you just have like your will there it just says like to be determined uh <laughs> I, you know, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't put it in writing, but I guess I should. I mean, I did actually write, I did write a memo to my wife about my funeral, like what I would want, because I definitely, I'm not going to be there. So to me, the important thing is to entertain the other people. Uh, so like, make sure that the speeches are like, you know, five minutes Maybe there's some good video of other people. I definitely don't want like a rabbi who's never met me to give a sermon. Don't need that. Um, yeah, what I would, I would maybe it's maybe you should crowdsource it and ask what do people want at this funeral? Like if you are if you're gonna make the schlep to celebrate this person's life, like you yeah. should have a say in in what uh, what goes into it. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Love to see what people come up with there. Probably turn <laughs> the whole funeral uh, parlor business upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need that, I feel. Yeah, I think if there's an opportunity to create new rituals, it's like right now, we're in this weird period right now where the old world rituals are kind of fading away. People aren't, you know, maybe they're not embracing them as much as they used to, or uh, we just haven't, you know, where that social structure isn't as strong as it used to be certain values so you know who knows maybe if you start the uh the pinky toe uh you know, burial <laughs> might get some good press might might be a really clickable headline it's just something <laughs> disturbing about pinky toe yeah it's a very disturbing phrase and i'm sorry i came up with it i'm just trying <laughs> to save space like you know we got a climate crisis here we uh we could use that who knows for like vertical farming or something yeah have you uh have you and james talked at all about uh doing an episode on like nuclear power i am fascinated yeah because i i am interested in the pros and cons i mean you're more in that energy space now than i am what's what's your take uh i know it's a complicated issue so even so my take is the future is is nuclear and solar like nuclear is like sort of the centralized grid and solar is like the freedom from the grid Hmm. Um, and having that balance there because uh, there's some new nuclear technology there's that's out it's called like gen 4 nuclear that is you know basically covers all those scary areas that people are concerned of right now like what do you do with the nuclear waste well these Mm -hmm. new reactors can burn the fuel of the old reactors Mm -hmm. or burn the waste of the old ones 
these new ones are like impossible to melt down. Um, it's something, I don't know if you've seen that new Bill Gates documentary on Netflix at all. No. There's a great program just about, you know, some of the initiatives that he's working on. He's doing some research into nuclear and oddly hmm. enough, and I, the, I'm saying this from a huge advocate of the solar industry and solar, uh, less people die per kilowatt hour of nuclear power than solar power because hmm. uh, there, while there have been some deaths in nuclear uh, and caused by nuclear, uh, you know, energy production, uh, more people die falling off roofs installing solar. Wow. Uh, from, from nuclear, which is, it's one of those things that uh, it's also very, you know, the only emission product into the air uh, is steam. So there's no, yeah. you know, it's very clean. So it's something to me, it's very interesting because there's a lot of technological room for development there. It's something that it, it was seemed like the way of the future in the late, you know, fifties, uh, you know, for a couple decades there. And then you, a couple of, uh, events, you know, you have Chernobyl, you know, four mile Island or whatever that sort of turn people turn the public consciousness away from that thing, even though, you know, it's like if we could quantify the good versus the bad, the good probably heavily outweighs the bad, but right. not, you know, when it comes to public opinion, it, you couldn't, you know, that argument didn't exist for the longest time and now it's just starting to come around. So I keep yeah, your that, eye on it. That is it. I mean, I actually, I, I watched Chernobyl with my wife and I said to her, I was like, I wonder if this miniseries is doing more good or bad in the world because it's so scary and horrible that yeah. it does turn you off from nuclear energy, but it's not a rational argument. And since, as you say, the technology has changed, maybe it's not a relevant, uh, a relevant piece of data. Um, you know, I don't know enough about it because I, I know I have one friend who's um, a scientist who he doesn't, uh, he doesn't like nuclear energy, not for the Three Mile Island Chernobyl problems, but just enriching uranium when there's a threat of nuclear war, he thinks is just dangerous, just like no enriching of uranium is what he goes. So again, very complicated, and I have absolutely no idea, but I'm glad that people like you are thinking about it. Yeah, I'm glad. You know, I think even with something like Chernobyl, what's interesting is, let's say it was it was turning people off of the idea of nuclear. There is probably some collateral good yeah. to just elevating the topic of nuclear. Oh, hmm. yeah, you maybe it mean? is good. Like, like even uh, even if like the initial reaction is negative, to bring nuclear back into sort of the public conversation into people's minds could potentially have some. You know, sort of like collateral, like people actually research it and dive into it and look into it and find that. Mm, I like that. I like that too, because it's an optimistic take. That is, uh, that's very nice. Absolutely. Uh, Got to find the optimistic take. So, uh, well, AJ, this has been really interesting. I'm really excited to see your new projects that you have coming out. So just to summarize, you have this new podcast coming out with... Uh, James Alcantara. James right. I knew I was going to mispronounce this last time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that comes out in the new year. Right. Scheduled for January. Um, yeah. And then I've got, I'm working on a book about puzzles and whether uh, trying to, can you become a, a, a better person, a better thinker by thinking like a puzzler? 
So that won't be out till 2021, but I'm having fun researching. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you know, sort of tackling these projects. I love the work that you've done. Uh, I encourage everybody to go out there, check it out, go to your website, buy all your books. You'll love them. Uh, watch your, your Ted talks and everything. It's, it's all great stuff. I really appreciate your extreme curiosity and commitment to pursuing these ideas and, and hashing them out for the rest of us. So thank you. Well, for that. Thank you, Patrick. And thank you for your podcast, which is uh, doing the same thing. It's all about curiosity. So appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, um, do you have any final words or any asks or requests or anything for the audience? No, I'm on uh, Twitter at AJ Jacobs and uh, Facebook and all that. But uh, just uh, keep on being curious. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.